1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, as usual, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also at the show notes, and all of the show notes are at entrepreneurethos.com. As always... Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the retweets. Thanks for the shares. Well, just thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Jen Graham of Inclusive, formerly Civic Dinners. Jen trained design, but described herself as a community organizer at heart. She helped start TEDx Atlanta. And while she saw a lot of value in the messages the speakers brought, she found herself getting frustrated by the limitations of a model. That was speaker-centric. Her search for other models of fostering discourses around significant topics led her to exploring models like salons, Jeffersonian dinners, and focus groups. From here, she formulated what became Civic Dinners, a structure to bring a small group of diverse people together to discuss topics of importance in their community. The idea took off generating interest from local governmental groups and nonprofits that were looking for a way to engage millennials. This is when Jen realized she needed to start thinking of this project as a business. Civic Dinners, now inclusive, has hosted numerous gatherings providing the greater Atlanta community ways to talk, offer input, and share stories. It's given organizations at various levels critical feedback they haven't been able to get anywhere else. It has been a way to elevate consciousness around social issues. and That has been the most gratifying result for Jen. The organization successfully pivoted to going virtual in 2020 and has developed a library of 50 different topic series as well as a structure to ensure a sense of safety, trust, and connection. Jen reflects on how learning to listen and how to disagree with empathy has made an impact on her community, but also on her understanding of of how to be a good leader. Now, let's get better together. Jen Graham, welcome. Welcome, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Jerry. Thrilled to be here. Thanks.
1: Well, thank you so much. You are the founder of Inclusive, which is such a fascinating company, formerly uh, Civic Dinners. So, kind of get a little kind of hint at what it may be. Um was really intrigued by this and actually uh, you came um to me through a cold email from Abby Abby excuse me over at Blast Media which I literally used as an example of one of the best cold emails I've ever seen. <laughs> That's
2: so awesome. She's so great.
1: <laughs> and uh so I thought wow, okay, cool. This is like, you know, some pretty pretty cool stuff and uh I always love um, talking to founders and talking to people that are creating companies that help us connect Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because we were talking before, this is like a, like a Ben Franklin dinner or Jeffersonian discussion. I mean, you know, real hardcore and hardcore is maybe a bad word, but a a way to really connect with people that you don't agree with and like have that conversation, which is what we try to do. um, I try to do on this show, but we're going to get into all that and how it came about, but before we do that, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today.
2: Thank you, Terry. Um, wow. Well, I have always been a community organizer at heart, and I was trained as a designer. And what um, what was intriguing to me, I, I had helped start TEDx Atlanta and Atlanta and put on these conferences over and over and after about a dozen i started to become a bit frustrated with the lack of kind of progress or momentum after one of these big conferences with 300 participants and i started to realize that it was the voices that were on stage that were really only the ones being allowed to present their ideas And I tried to tried to experiment a little bit with that model and allowing for Q and A or small group discussions, and we got our kind of wrist slapped a little bit. (laughs) So I decided. Oh, uh, that's never good. But you know,
1: (laughs) gotta sometimes push the edge a little bit, right? Gotta push the edge. See where the edge is. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I I love it.
2: So I was like, well, hmm, maybe there are other models out there that would allow the participants to participate to allow to allow greater participation um, and allow everybody to be able to have a voice and have a say and be able to contribute their own experiences or what they know to that particular topic. And so I looked at salon models and Jeffersonian dinners, as you mentioned, and even um, you had just traditional even focus groups. And I realized like there's so much power in going small. And allowing um, a simple structure, because I loved, I mean, the TED model of an 18-minute TED talk. I mean, you you kind of knew what to expect. And building a little bit of that in, we pretty much created what we used to call a civic dinner, which is the recipe for that was a six to 10 guest host, three big questions on the topic that took you on a journey through a shared experience using some organizing principles woven in around the story of self, the story of us and the story of now. And with some basic ground rules such as one voice speaking at a time with equal time to share. And so it was the complete opposite um, of traditional TED talk where you know there's one speaker and everybody else listens the whole time. It was really about no expertise required. You're really there to listen mostly and to share your perspective and to respect one another's but and there's actual psychology behind this model where if you know that you're not going to be interrupted or you know you're not going to be responded to in a form of debate you're more open to sharing really truly how you how you feel or how you what you what it looks like and it's it's a different psychological mindset to be in uh, when you know you're not going to be interrupted So that's there's a little bit of power there, even um, within the form of therapy, group therapy. And so when we when we trialed this total social experiment, uh, it started in 2015 uh, with just a group of renegade millennials in Atlanta and trying to
1: renegade uh, (laughs) millennials.
2: As a Gen Xer, i like, renegades are cool, you know. Uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were really wanting to make a difference in the, and wanted to have a say in the future of Atlanta. Uh, and it was at a, we were at an inflection point as a city and really wanted, the, the only ways to really get involved was either to run for office or be on a board, which you had to be wealthy to be able to donate. And so it kind of left us out. Um, you could volunteer, but so, but, but how else can we have a say in the future? In Future vision and the future of the of the city, and so we we built this model as a way to as a way to bring voices together, meet people where they are as well, allow them get to host and give them the tools that they need to host their own conversations around dinner tables or parks or picnics or uh, you know in in homes and and office spaces, uh, and so we built a, a very simple website uh, to allow people to be able to set up their own conversations and then be able to download the host guide and then be able to capture their feedback from guests and participants. And we had 60 dinners and it just took off. We had influencers hosting and people popping up and all of a sudden there was no business model behind this. This was just a, well, what, what if, you know? And then all of a sudden we were like, whoa, there's incredible appetite here for this kind of conversation. And then um, the Atlanta Regional Commission came along. It was a former client of mine. At the time, I was a consultant and, and working with local governments, and nonprofits to help them tell better stories. And community engagement had become a bigger portion of my work. And so they're like, hey, we're trying to figure out how to get the millennial perspective and include it in the long-range planning process. Uh, do you have any ideas? And I go, well, we just did this interparty thing and it worked really well. <laughs> and, Suddenly, uh, we we had a, a moment. There was a business opportunity of Hey, you need there you need a creative engagement tool and model, and we found one. We just need to systematize it and make it work. So we built um, with work collaborated with them. Built three different topics around the the topics they cared about: mobility, livability, and um, prosperity, and uh, launched it. Had over three hundred. Millennials from around the region engage in conversation and dialogue all across and counties uh, We were able to collect that feedback through technology uh, uh, and ended up winning numerous awards for that. It was the first time government had ever used dinner parties as a way to really bring people together and to collect insights that fed into the regional planning, the 25-year plan. And so after that, we had, uh, that was back in 2015, and then in 2017, we finally built our own platform that would allow other regions and organizations because suddenly we had nonprofits and companies coming to us saying, hey, can we use this conversation structure over food at the time uh, to be able to bring our employees together around these topics and and so forth. And so soon we had a partnership with the King Center around bridging the racial divide um, when we had an election in 2016 that really stirred up a lot of social issues. And so all of a sudden, the whole world was craving conversation on topics that weren't taboo to begin with, things like women and immigration and climate change and racial justice. And suddenly,
1: you know, Georgia was the center of that 2016 in Atlanta. I mean, the whole like real, I'd say the front line, so to speak of all that just crazy craziness is maybe not the word I'd use, but boy, some serious, like yeah. we're figuring it out down here. And like, mm-hmm. it's really, it was really cool. It was very, uh, it was just very heartwarming to see. And then even the 2020 election, which yeah. was even closer and the, the real challenges and struggles, it's just, yeah. I hope, I hope as you know, time goes on that those models will help us as a country heal to a certain degree. Cause we're pretty feel broken, you know?
2: Yeah. Fractured for yeah. sure. Fractured for sure. And so when when you when you ask like where I how I got to where I am today I think um, you know we really we started as a total social experiment to figure out how can we almost uh, elevate the level of consciousness around really important issues and also give people the tools to be able to bring their people together and to be able to give give them the self organizing tools and to be able, and using technology to be able to do so. And, and using both of those is really what, what helped us create what was called Civic Dinners and now inclusive. And so our shift over the past, oh gosh, our journey um, has been a ride, to say the least. We had, uh, 2020 came and canceled dinner completely. We had to shift online. So we had to pivot completely to virtual, build in that uh, virtual meeting capability into our platform um, through partnerships with web-based with, with RTC, I can get into the detail there, but, and also all the others. And then we had just launched our inclusive series back in March of 2020, which fell to, on crickets um, because everybody was scrambling to come up with what COVID situation they were gonna handle um, within the workplace. Uh, and then we we were able to be the exact solution that companies were looking for in the summer of 2020 when George Floyd was murdered. And we were just, had a gasp of what uh, what was happening and we were able to really come together and pull together for our community and even the country. We launched new topics that were relevant to racial justice and ended up expanding our inclusive series to 24 different topics spanning um, heritage from wide wide variety um, all the way to mental health, um, and now we've even expanded beyond that into sustainability with our sustainability series and topics around that, and also work and well-being, just to make sure that I mean the, the mental health and the uh, the well-being of our society is really at risk given the increase, uh, dramatic increase in and anxiety and depression, uh, and um, just you know, severe mental health that is affecting us in ways that we're not even aware of. And so making sure that we have the tools to engage each other and our friends and our neighbors and our, um, our communities and even our workplaces with the tools to be able to create the brave space to be able to talk about this and what's happening at from a societal angle um, and then how it can apply to us um, as individuals and leaders.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's pretty heavy, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. but no, in a good way. Well, you yeah. know, well, it's just interesting because you know when I talk about it all the time. When when Jane, my late wife, died, I uh, was part of this thing called the dinner party. Have you heard of the dinner yes. party?
2: Yes, yes.
1: So I went to a couple of them. This obviously, died in 2017, so COVID wasn't around, and I had a mixed experience with it, to be honest. Partly because grief and sorrow affect people in different ways. And it just felt like a downer. You know, I, of course I was sad and angry and upset, but I'm kind of like, okay, how do I move forward? How how do I, um, you know, instead of falling back fail forward or like, like what am I going to learn from this? Because, you know, now I can say, Hey, you know, everyone says, well, what good, you know, when someone asks a question, what good came out of your wife dying? Like, couple of years ago, I would have hit him in the head. <laughs> like there's nothing yeah. good came out of that. Right. Yeah. But you know, when those conversations happen and, and the dinner party kind of set that the stage for that, but it was just always so downer, you know, yeah. everyone was like upset. And, you know, I remember I went to my first one, it was like two months after Jane died and they're like two months. Like it's only been two months. How, how are you even out of the house? And I'm like, out of the house. Oh. Like I am moving, man. I'm not going to stand still. I mean, I started jujitsu. i like, I am trying yeah. to heal. I'm not going to escape from it. And what I find was really interesting and maybe they've changed it um, now, but when you talk about the structured way yeah. to sort of have a, and they had their own little thing too, the topic's a little heavier. So it's sort of a different, you know, way to go. But I love the idea of, okay, you're going to have a difficult conversation, quote, unquote, my, my words, not yours. You need to be able to moderate that with a group of people that may have different opinions. And I think you called it a brave space. Yeah, Interesting, interesting word. I like, I like that. Like, you're, I mean, it's brave to just share, right? I mean, yeah. people say, oh, I can't believe you actually talk about what happened with, with Jane and like how you felt about it. And I'm like, why wouldn't I? Like, Right. got to know that that happens, right? So I'm curious how, I mean, this could go really well or really bad, depending yeah. on the group of people, right? Yeah. How do you, how, how do you like, what's like I, the control rod? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, tell me a little bit more about that because yeah. I'm fascinated by this because I really think we need to sit back and really focus on our communities. Yeah. Eliminate the BS and yep. like strengthen them. And I think entrepreneurship does that and good conversation and really seeing the humanity and the compassion in everyone.
2: Oh, you hit on so many good points. And so I'm, I'm going to start with the conversation design. And so that's, that's really the science and the art behind the conversation. And I'll, I'll share a little bit, cause I've been there. I have design conversations that have gone really, really, really bad. <laughs> so I learned quickly uh, how to adjust and ensure a really tight and productive framing. And it's really all about, I mean, a couple things. The beginning always starts the tone and just like in any conversation, the tone and, and also the framing of this, that we are, we're all here because we believe in something important that we all have almost a shared goal. Of move what if it's moving forward, so we're here to really strive towards something together. We might disagree on how we get there, but we all have our own unique perspective and ways. But we're we're here because of a shared goal or outcome. Um, and so, really, whatever that, however that's framed, even if it's like transportation, people get really passionate about like, transportation. You know, from I
1: <laughs> I was on a SF San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency Advisory Committee. Yeah, and let me tell you you think you think transit's boring you go to one of these meetings and you just sit there and go i cannot believe how passionate you are about the, the to the you know the church line or the the end yeah. judah
2: yeah yes and and every what i've learned and especially in my journey especially my awakening and racial equity as well is that every system has its complexity and it's um the nuances there but if we approach it in a framing of what we all want when we think about mobility or affordable housing and framing it in the in the positive, I think that's a that's an important place to start talking about grief. For example, we we created a conversation called Grief and Gratitude to make space for exactly how you said the the like being able to really sink into it, but then also to have a glimpse of hope and gratitude of what 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 we have we learned from this or what have we gained. Um, through this and through our journey so making sure that you have a light at the end of the tunnel to aim for that's the first thing the framing the second uh is really in making sure that people feel connected and trusted to each other first and so starting with the what we call the story of self oftentimes the intro question and the question one are really a chance for people to reflect on their own lived experiences or on desires or wishes or kind of their personal uh, reflections on how they relate to the topic. Um, and that's really a chance to develop empathy and trust within a small group and kind of establish that brave space. We also have some just common ground rules where it's really you know, one voice at a time and equal time to share. So it's not about a debate or, you know, someone's going to ask you a qualifying or, or a, you know, a follow-up question or so on. It's just everybody gets the same question and they go not have an answer. Um, but then the second question really allows for us to look at it from a more societal view, and to maybe throw some cards out on the table that you normally wouldn't say, and that you you know you get to really put out there what what are some of the challenges you can either build on what others have said, or con- maybe even throw something out that contradicts what someone said, but that's okay. This is that space to be able to kind of call out the elephant in the room and and put it all out there uh, on a, on the big heavier topics. And then the last question last round is, is really helping to resolve the tension that might have been created. in that second question, because that tension is really between what you want the end goal and where you are now. And that tension is what creates a desire for change. That like every great story, you have to have that tension point. There's not a problem to be solved. There's nothing to resolve. And why are we having this? Complex? Yeah.
1: Stories Stories <laughs> are about change, right? Exactly. about Change,
2: change transformation. And so the mm-hmm. third question, it's, it's critical for people to continue and, and wrap up with on the, on the third one, because that's where we bring it down back to reality of, okay, wow, here's um, a chance for us to really highlight what we want out of this. Um, what we are willing to do to contribute to that shared goal or value, um, or and or what's something that you want others to do? What is your request of, of either the an organization or a city or a community or a workplace to do differently? It's kind of resolving it into either a request or a commitment or a particular action that you or someone else will take to move forward. So it presents a chance for closure and, and deeper engagement.
1: Hmm. This uh wow. And you've also used well, you've also used this with companies, right?
2: hmm Yeah. Does yeah, it so work
1: we... differently for a company? Or and, and the reason I ask this is because um startups, entrepreneurs, when they're building their companies, there is always attention. There's always some like things unsaid, right? Mm-hmm. And usually startups fail while they run out of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, it's usually the founders fight or the, the team fights about some non shared vision. Usually,
3: mm-hmm.
1: how, how how does it does it translate well? I mean, I know you've got companies, cities, universities. I mean, there's yeah. definitely clearly different types of people. I'm curious if you have to adjust it a little bit, or is it just depends on the topic? Or
2: yeah, I'd say we have we now have a library of 50 different topics ranging from diversity equity and inclusion to mental health and well-being to like the covid response in the workplace and then even sustainability so the the really the it really depends on the goal of the organization that is pretty much sponsoring the, this conversation series or the community conversations mm-hmm. and the way it looks differently like we just launched a a new journey mem- like a m- membership model with a journey um, that individuals can join, and it's just a full monthly conversation that they get invited to. And this first track, and this first journey is on inclusion and belonging. Uh, so the first month is on belonging, and then it goes into bridging the racial divide and the voice of women, and then so on and so on, and each each month a different theme. But the conversation topic is, is still pretty much the same we we when we went the route of designing the inclusive series originally we created it for the workplace but mm. quickly we realized that even those within the workplace um they don't necessarily want it focused so insular um they really want it to be really thinking about the societal challenges because people bring that into the workplace oh yeah oh yeah
1: you are a person yeah
2: Exactly. And it, it's not that we're trying to isolate this just to the practices and, and what's happening within the workplace because it centers the workplace rather than the larger societal realities that people are struggling with and the, and the complexities that that brings. So we have actually shifted. We had originally created it for the workplace lens and, and then created a community, basically a mirror twin version of that same topic designed for the community so that anybody, students and retirees and people in the workforce or, you know, multiple workforces coming together could participate and it still be a powerful, relevant conversation. And we found that companies have actually preferred the community version um, because it opens it up to more and it creates more opportunity for just personal development uh, and leadership development beyond, you know, focusing in on on the the company itself. So that's been a big lesson for us and that, that has allowed us to even expand our offerings um, to be able to create products that are not exclusive to a particular company, but actually allow multiple companies to participate and um, you know through through like a local sponsorship. We just did this recently last year, six-month program called inclusive ATL and had people had companies, different companies, sponsors send a certain number of employees to this, and they loved. What they loved most was hearing different perspectives and meeting people from outside of their organization and learning what they are doing and what they have heard. And that kind of exposure to new ideas and and even um, being able to mix up the the demographics, because sometimes companies don't necessarily have a lot of what they would they what they would, they would claim a lot of diversity on their teams. They're looking for outside. Perspectives in order to help really reframe um, and and think broader because that's ultimately the the value proposition when it comes to diversity is is really um, diverse diversity of thought you really want and, and this is the book that I just read conflicted that says how productive disagreements lead to better outcome mm-hmm. without having really productive conversations that have a little bit of tension and that's what you know hearing diverse perspectives and allowing airtime time for that and separating the personal from the content is crucial in developing mm. an inclusive culture and so just the art and practice of being able to receive different ideas that might be um conflicting you know yeah. that's okay and that's great and that's what we need in order to be able to really come up with the best ideas and to, whether we're tackling community planning around transportation or rather for tackling racial equity planning in the workplace or cultural arts planning, you know, wherever we are. I think we we've got to be better at disagreeing and doing so in a way in a better, more empathetic way.
1: Yeah, and respectful, compassionate. Yeah. I mean, that's like Abe Lincoln, he, you know, his council of rivals, right? Like he had yes. people that were like, I don't know if they hated each other would be the good strong word, but they really didn't like each other and didn't like him, but yeah, you know, and he's always put up as the, I don't know, from a leadership point of view, you know, how, how diverse opinions yeah. um, can drive not only a better outcome. I mean, they're and they're uncomfortable, right? I mean, most, yeah. most leaders, you know, right. They're in the bubble. Like no one tells them the truth that they're never, not really in control because they don't seek out the disagreement, you know? Yeah it's hard to hear that your awesome idea is not that awesome.
2: I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, I mean, being a, being a leader in a company, yeah. I, I come to the recent uh, epiphany that oh, yeah, okay. that's, that's even in our company and we've had to really, we're still working on it and we, we, uh, we're coming to the, to the place where we're trying to create a culture where we walk towards conflict and not mm. fear it. And I think a lot of people tend to fear because they don't want they don't want to mess up the relationship. And you know, so so I think we're still really learning the art of of dialogue and the and the power of how to how to disagree in a in a, in a way that it doesn't um, mess up the underlying relationship. And so those are just, just the tweaks into the leadership development and and how we leader and how leaders are. It's so important to recognize the foundations of these things too. Like that, in every conversation you have, there are two conversations happening. Actually, there's one about the content, and then there's one about the underlying relationship between the two.
1: Interesting. That
2: Interesting. is the unspoken one. That's mm. the tone. That's the body language. That's the uh, you know the the careful use of the words, but the content. Is oftentimes the one that is used most, especially in forms of leadership. Or, and not, right. but in in reality, uh, especially the more diversity at the table, the more uh, explicit we need to be. Which means mm. that means we need to be more focused on the content, explaining a little bit more, um, and then and then traditional old, older societies and traditional societies, the underlying relationship has been the the main high trust organizations high context organizations best friends don't necessarily have to be so explicit you know managers, yes. partners don't have to be as explicit because there's an underlying understanding there yeah. um, right. and so we just need to yeah start to practice these different ways of engaging with one another in a way that creates that brave space that creates um Oh, um, and encourages uh, different perspectives to be spoken without being shut down or, you know, knocked down right away. And yeah, it's on all of us to do that too. Yeah. The best ideas get heard.
1: Right, right. I mean, what a great title for a book, Brave Spaces.
2: Ooh, I'm going to take that.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm always about writing books, right? I love writing books, but because it seems like you guys in your company, have a unique perspective. I mean, it's kind of interesting because, okay, we're this inclusive company. We're trying to have these conversations with everyone else. But then when we turn inside, we have the same issues that humans have in general. And since, you know, maybe our company is way more diverse and we're really trying to push the edge, we're going to bump into things that are going to be like, Oh, we're, we're seeing this early. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always think that if you learn learn something, you should share it. That's the reason why I do the show. And I appreciate you you coming coming on the show and like really hashing this out for some of those entrepreneurs that find themselves like building a company is about the culture. Yeah. first and foremost, it's about having those difficult conversations. I mean the whole idea of a brave space to kind of because brave doesn't mean comfortable it means you know we're pushing the envelope and a lot of startups and founders need to push the envelope some of them think and feel Mm -hmm. that you know just the technical prowess or just the product will speak for itself or you know like there's a huge debate within entrepreneurship and even in the tech world not a lot of female founders not a lot of females get um they don't get a lot of investment like two percent of venture capital goes to female founders 2% 2% of the 2% go to female minority found. I mean, it's like, in one sense, they're a unicorn. <laughs> they're like They're unique. I mean, they're really unique. Yeah. Um, and we got to change that because this job anyone can do, this is not magic, right? And I think that, you know, as we sort of evolve more towards building communities that matter and really understanding not only like there's structural issues, of course, there's the racial divide, there's all these things that are underlying. And some of them are real, some of them are just, you know, amplified to make the voice. But fundamentally, when we come together and we sit down at dinner, right? Yeah. And we sit down across from each other and someone that doesn't look like us, someone that's had a different life experience. And we find the shared humanity and the compassion and the empathy, as you mentioned, in them. That's when we solve the problems because everyone I've ever met, no matter what they look like, no matter who they love or choose to whatever, fundamentally want to have a good life for them and their family and they just want to see they don't want this tension right But tension and you know sorrow and grief that sells on social media and in the news, right So they want to tear us apart. It's like pretty obvious. the business model is for at least for mainstream news, tear us apart so that ratings go up. And it's just horrible. It's just horrible. And I really, I appreciate companies like yours and what you're doing to elevate the conversation to a point of mutual respect, as well as understanding and caring and compassion. I, I, I always say that you have to be empathetic but empathy doesn't get you all the way. you got to go from empathy to compassion because compassion makes you take action. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. you can't, if you're like wrapped up and locked up in the empathy, you're just going to be like, Oh my God, the world sucks. And you're like, okay, move. How can I help the situation? Right. And I really love that model. Cause I don't know. I mean, it just seems like we got to heal and maybe heals the wrong word or
2: that's
1: exactly the word. Yeah, or I, I mean, you know, and again, I live in San Francisco, right? So of course, mm-hmm. there's the whole progressive culture, the woke culture. I mean, there's all these like underlying things that yeah. a lot of people that are more conservative or, or a different generation, yeah, they see this and they see like, why am I being blamed for mm-hmm. my, you know, like as an example, like baby boomers, right? Like blamed for X, you know, millennials blame them and Gen X, we hate both of them. So, you know, whatever, (laughs) we're the sandwich generation. We're like pretty curmudgeon, like at least I am. At least of all my Gen X buddies. Um, But it's not productive. right? It's not productive. Like, yeah, okay, things are messed up. Okay, full stop. Like, what the hell are you going to do about it? Don't complain. Yeah, don't complain about it. Do something about it. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that you're creating a brave space for people to do that. And then in I mean how's the success been? I mean do you do you guys have metrics? I mean how do you how do you know it's a success? I mean it's seems like I mean yeah. to me seems like a great idea. Just I'm curious how and I love the fact that you and what all entrepreneurs should do is like you out on in the marketplace, you provide something, you're like, Oh, I can expand this. Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: listening to the mm-hmm. feedback is really good. So h- how's the success been? How do you, how do you, ga- how do you engage that? That's
2: a good question. We, oh gosh, after so many pivots from listening to our <laughs> customers and yeah. our users and having to go online and kind of ditch dinner and switch our language and, even our rebrand, um, you know, we've had to do a lot of of reconciling on, yeah, how do we gauge success? I have over here two flip charts from our you know, recent retreat where it talks all about success for participants and, and success for our customers. And it, it truly comes down, the one that stands out the most to me is the, uh, does it make me a better person? And does it make me better at my job? Like, is the outcome, the outcome for us is really helping people be better at becoming more empathetic and compassionate to others, even outside of the initial conversation experience. And we can start to measure feelings of belonging in, in the culture. And so we're actually, we've some of our clients have been using tools that track belonging and, and measure belonging and measure the sense of inclusion and belonging. Of course, like NPS scores are naturally within even startups using guest Oak can have a monthly survey that goes out to employees that says, hey, would you recommend this is a great place to work? And so, and so we can, of course, track that data. And But what we've seen for one of our customers is an example. is that after six months of, of engaging their leaders and their whole teams and three different topics over, over six months, they had 40 different conversations that teams led in groups of, of five to eight. They had a 10-point jump. And the percentage of people who felt like they belonged at work, moving from 80 to 90%. which is a huge jump given that you know, only 20 space covered the difference in the path there. So uh, that to us, there's and there's there's so much uh, research being done on the return on investment for a sense of belonging because people feel like they are heard, that they're valued, that they are seen as their whole selves. They're more likely to stay. They're more likely to work harder for their teams. They're more likely to, you know, uh, not take sick leave because they don't have the mental anxiety of of having to handle all of these topics um, and and deal with them alone. They they feel like they're part of something, and and so that has real tangible benefits. And we've seen that companies of on average size of ten thousand employees, which is way really, really far down the road for a typical entrepreneur. <laughs> um, our clients that we work with, since we're B two B. They can see an annual savings of fifty-two million dollars a year if every employee feels like they belong. So um, that's wow, how we started that's to do. Yeah. It is very, and that goes boils down to about five grand per an individual um, per year. So of uh, you know the, the the actual measurable impact of belonging within the workplace itself um, because of retention costs and, and of savings and retention productivity let's say mm, and so just,
1: on. Just so, yeah, it's. An employee leaves. That's yeah. that's a failure. That's a management failure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So belonging, huh? Interesting.
2: So that's one way. But then other ways that we're starting to measure the actual success is through our platform. Like how many people who participate are interested in taking a further step, either you know reading. A deeper article on a topic, or taking one of those recommended actions, or sharing their perspective and then sharing publicly. So, we have these different features built into the platform that can allow participants afterwards to go deeper, reflect, or take action um, around that particular topic.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's well, I mean, it, 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 yeah. I'm normally not speechless when it comes to stuff like this, but well, it's, cause it's just a very reflective thing. Mm. You know, I see like my local community, how, I mean, there's a lot of damage being done and, you know, I work with professional athletes too. And and I see the communities that they come from are w- way worse than, you know, some of the ones that I'm involved with. And, Really, a lot of times there's always good intention, but the intention just never follows through, right? And usually it's because the people that are trying to help think, oh, we need to help you. We know what's right, as opposed to the opposite of how what resources do you need as a community? And I think this is a great way to do that because everyone matters, right? I mean, you know, and... and, depending on like what side of the spectrum and I call it a spectrum because political spectrum is Mm. just like any other spectrum. um, There's a real lack of compassion for someone's situation that they may or may or may not have had any control over. Um, And I find that community engagement, I, I did this a long time ago when I was in another, when I lived in another neighborhood, I found that community engagement Even if you think it's like God, well, that's a dumb thing to say. This act of belonging, this act of being heard, this act of look, I told you my truth, and you Mm -hmm. know what? I feel better about it. You know, I take it into consideration. But there's always, I've always found there's always like this nugget. Like you dig in, like there's always like one thing. Like I didn't know that.
2: Mm -hmm. And the
1: only way you do that through a conversation that's productive in a brave space where people feel comfortable and they don't feel like judged. That's yes. the other thing that is really the judgment is in both. I mean, both sides, right? Like you're an idiot because of this. Well, you're an idiot because of that. You're like, well, it's just a different perspective. It's not like right. anyone's really right. Quote unquote, like just different. Yeah.
2: yeah. The suspense of judgment or suspending judgment, is
1: suspending judgment. I think oh, that control. seems critical. I think that seems critical even in running a company, you know? Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. I think, oh gosh, um, that And and really listening and hearing all the perspectives and suddenly suddenly it's not a us versus them or a, my idea versus your idea. It's like, okay, let's come up with a better third option here. It's like, less of a win lose or zero sum game and making it more of an opportunity to explore something better
1: yeah it's not your idea or my idea it's our our idea. yeah the our part
2: yeah
1: yeah i think more more founders more entrepreneurs need to have that attitude it's hard Really you know, hard. I mean, you know, you're an entrepreneur. You got this great idea. You're like, I'm a genius.
2: I got yeah. raised money. <laughs> <laughs> Ideas are cheap and <laughs> nine cents. It's all in the execution and right. persistent yeah. execution. Yeah.
1: persistent execution of a great idea. I mean, I remember reading something about leadership where, um, you should never, as a leader, you should never give your opinion until everyone's given their opinion. That's why this is such an interesting kind of model, because everyone's voice is heard on a topic with these same three questions. Everyone's equal. Mm -hmm. And then you could really let the conversation develop. And when you let the conversation develop as a leader, and I found this, and believe me, early on in my career, this did not happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The more you listen, the smarter you get. Oh, yeah. And so how have you had to like, in your own, you know, journey as a founder and CEO, how has that shifted? Like, how have you taken what you've learned from all of these conversations and all of what you're trying to do at Inclusive? Like, what can, what can that next generation of entrepreneur, like think about, like kind of like a, get a head start on the best way to use the power of a brave space to help Mm. them, you know? grow their company and just be better people.
2: Yes. Oh gosh. I'm learning. Cause I, I, think I haven't applied it internally. It's, it's, I would say, I mean, everybody, anybody who's an entrepreneur listening to this podcast knows that it's tough. It's hard enough trying to build something from nothing and to, put things in motion and to, to set it on course and to keep one eye on finances, another eye on your customers, another eye on your product, your marketing, your sales and all the things that go with it. So I think, um, it's a feat in and it itself, but once you get to a team size that definitely over the threshold of, I'd say 10 or so, it's really important to start to build a culture that is not just driven by you as the founder, that you're not the only one making the decisions, but it's, it's truly, really, um, allowing, I love that, I wrote this down, the Council of Rivals, but almost instituting a, a brave space for ideas to be uh, subjected to alternatives, and, and to kind of allow time and space for others to allow poking holes, and, and to be okay with that, and not to and try not to treat it as your um, as your own. So I, I, I worked with a leadership coach to really help me not think of my company as my first child. <laughs> I mean, it's like as birthing something that it was mine, you know, like Mama Bear would come out and, and really try to make it mine. And yes, it's my company at the end of the day. I, you know, I I still own the majority shares in it, but but it's better if others can contribute. There are my I have a team now of uh, 18 people that really care about the future of the company and the mission. You know, they're there for the mission and they want to see this thing flourish. And so allowing them to really apply their ideas and insights will only make it better. Like I I only have one perspective and I may have experience, but my history with it may also, you know, create a narrowed mindedness around certain things. So how can I expose myself to other new ideas and, and new team members with better experience and longer experience? So I am also really trying to put into practice more ways for others. And that may mean, you know, separating myself from the day to day and allowing uh, you know, a proper COO to come in, which we just did. We just hired a rockstar COO. Who wow. Asked, Congratulations. That's great. Thank you. It's huge. Um, we um, So we're really starting to put into practice uh, a way to kind of separate because some people may not try to, Go, you know, say something different than the founder, you know, there, there might be oh,
1: that yeah. power there's dynamic a, there. So, yeah, yeah. A huge power so, dynamic. Okay. Yeah.
2: So creating that separation may be necessary at some point, but still um, being able to guide and, and provide uh, direction where needed and when needed. Um, so that's kind of, I think, something to think about. Obviously there's stages of growth that priorities are, you know, making sure that you have company <laughs> first before So obviously, and there's fair a point. fair point. There, you know, you got to obviously culture is, comes first and treating people with dignity and respect is the baseline of that. And, um, and passionate people with ideas tend to be entrepreneurs. So just, I would just personal advice is, you know, is make sure that your passion doesn't come across as aggression when you're in conversation with your peers and your colleagues because you might you know, have an idea, but it sounds like you're holding it really tight, even though it's just an idea, but you're excited about it. And so that's, that's something to keep in mind. And then, um, my last piece of advice, if we're there, I don't know if we're there, the last question. We are, go ahead. There we are. Um, but my, my, my one thing, um, that I feel like I would have liked to have known from the very beginning is, you know, make sure that you, um, Fall in love with the problem you're trying to solve and stick to that and make sure you keep returning back to that and why you were doing what you're doing and make sure that you love the problem so much that you're solving, <laughs> that you're willing to do it for years and years and years and years, because sometimes it, it it's not going to take what you thought would just be two years to get it up and going. It might be five, seven, and that's okay. And it evolves and things and be willing to evolve with it. So that's it.
1: Fall in love with the problem. Yeah, I've heard that one before. It's really good advice. So Jen, thanks so much. This has been inspirational and educational and hopeful, um, inclusive. I, I encourage everyone to go out there and try some, try it out, have a conversation. You know, yeah. see see what it's up for or what it is up to, and what you guys are doing is really great. And thanks again. Stay safe and uh, good luck. Thanks, Jen, for the awesome interview. What a great thing you guys are doing over at Inclusive. Boy, you know, we need to have better conversations that are uh, a lot more structured, but then also allow people to share their thoughts in a safe environment, because I think that's the only way we're going to fix the world. So (laughs) great job. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Jen. Jen recommends that leaders walk towards conflict instead of away from it. As your business grows, start to welcome and value a difference of thought. Yeah, um, as things get a little more uh, tense or as growth starts to happen, a lot of leaders put themselves in an echo chamber where they just like have a kind of huge uh, bubble or they're in the bubble. So ask yourself questions like, am I getting enough diversity of thought? Do I allow people to actually voice an opinion? A lot of times people just sort of entrench back. You know, am I talking too much as a leader? You know, maybe you should just kind of be quiet and listen. That's at least a good way to start. Recognize that every conversation operates at two levels, the spoken and the unspoken. Jen notes that when a group of people are diverse, the spoken, the content of the conversation needs to be more explicit. Yes, you need to be have, I think, very clear, like definitions of, okay, this is what we're really talking about and let people kind of open up that conversation. Again, a lot of times people get nervous, especially if there's like a dominant person or they're like a little bit difference of opinion or different looking, different feel. So, you know, ask your questions in terms of like, are people actually talking about things? Are they saying the right thing? Are too many people dominating the conversation? I think that's the reason why her, Methodology that the way inclusive is looking at it is allows people to have a turn at talking, which is super important. Jen offers data that points to a heightened sense of belonging after six months of participating in inclusive conversations. A sense of belonging can translate to partners and employees who feel more invested and are more productive. Yeah, this is a hundred percent true. Belonging to a group, feeling like you belong, feeling like your voice is heard. Makes it just so much easier to get things done But more importantly you get a better sense of how to get things done and the best ideas so really ask yourself questions like um, and, And talk to people about it. Do you feel like you're part of the team? How how are we doing in part in terms of inclusiveness now? Don't this isn't just like buzzword bingo. This isn't just like check a box, right? This is like true understanding so a lot of times companies will just kind of check the box on this you know, inclusive environment or like they have all these programs that are just basically, you know, again, you know, call it whatever kind of, you know, quote unquote word washing or something, whatever. I don't know exactly what they call that kind of, kind of greenwashing type thing, right. As they do with some of the environmental stuff. So, you know, truly try to do the right thing, you know, be authentic about it. And if you got a flat spot there, well, admit you got to work on it. Like we all got to work on stuff. So there you have it. Some actionable insights and some questions to ask yourself uh, related to my interview with Jen. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter, at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.